Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, where human wonder fuels the quest for Christian wisdom. Happy New Year from my faithful co-host, Dale Stenberg, and I, from us to you all. We're glad you're joining us so early in the year after the most epic and perhaps most memeable year of all time, the catastrophic year of 2020. Nevertheless, as we enter with expectation and hope into 2021, uh, things are not so different. Uh, All of the problems of 2020 are mostly still around, and we still have to deal with them. Uh, And yet, in the human psyche, a transition from one year to the next is a is a good time. It's a it's a fitting time and a kind of natural time, perhaps, for human beings to sort of step back and take stock of how we want to orient ourselves toward the uh, toward the things that we're afflicted with. There's a lot of you know there's a lot of cultural turmoil around right now, and there's a lot of well turmoil of all sorts of kinds, health crises, health crises, and whatnot. and, and a word gets thrown around, a word gets thrown around a lot, especially in the holiday season, and especially as we're trying to think about how to orient ourselves in a complicated world, and that's the word hope. Uh, you know, it's perhaps mostly uh, invoked in a sentimental way, you know, have some hope. Uh, it's, uh, you know, in the, uh, what is it, believe, uh, the, the cat poster in the Lego movie. Sure. I suppose there's, a, you know, uh, appeals that are about, about equivalent with the word hope on Precious Moments figurines and, and, <laughs> yes. and such. Hope, interestingly, though, is sort of something in between two. Uh, it's, a, it's a virtue in some ways that sits in between maybe two, uh, two, two errors on two sides. On the one hand, there's the possibility that um, that we are so presumptuous uh, that we're so presumptuous that just good things are going to happen to us, yeah. right? Uh, uh, and so there's a kind of uh, there's a kind of uh, presumptuous optimism where certainly tragedy or something like that is not going to befall us. Uh, sur- sur- surely all the things in our lives are going to go well because that's just how life works for us, or something like this. And yet, on the other side, is this kind of cynical, uh, is this kind of cynical look at the calculus of the world? You stare out at all the phenomena and see all the death and suffering, uh, and you just sort of get despairing, or you see how difficult your life is, or your circumstances are, and you just sort of see all the gray and black notes of that existence, and you become somewhat despairing. And it's it's interesting that in the in the Christian tradition, hope for for very, this very reason is a it's, it's considered a theological virtue yeah. as opposed to the, the cardinal virtues, which are things done even by, by non-believers. There's something distinctive to a relationship to God uh, that, is, that is related to the, to the virtue of hope. And the reason uh, hope is related to God, it's directed toward God and rooted in God, is that what hope allows us is to, is to sort of look at our circumstances and we can see good things in our circumstances, you know, so all Christians should be able to look at all of reality and all of their lives and even things going on in the nation right now and count their blessings, as it were, actually have sincere gratitude towards the pile of goods that's really there. Uh, you know, all of these things standing about, uh, standing above the abyss of nothing, reflecting the beauty of God toward us. Mm. And yet on the other end, uh, there are, we see the effects of the fall extended throughout. We, we have a reason uh, to, to look at everything and, and find things that are in some ways discouraging, things that do are kind of depressing or, or induce the, the sensation of melancholy. 
what what hope does is it sort of says like you know in the in the perennial battle between the sort of the optimists and the pessimists right you know which side is the good or the evil going to win out what the theological virtue of hope does is it is it looks at that and says the calculus for deciding that the calculus for deciding where the world's going is not by this kind of imminent look into the, the balance sheet of the goods and evils we see around us in as much as we can detect them, but that God is always part of the picture. So yeah. the reason we have hope, the reason we have hope is not because in the algorithm of weighing the good and the evil, somehow the good outweighs the evil as far as our, our sight is concerned, but rather because God is sovereign and because this is his world, uh, we can say we can always be hopeful. We can always be expectant of something happening, uh, something even unexpected. Yeah. expecting the unexpected as it were <laughs> something like that happening uh precisely because god is there and he's sovereign and he's good and so hope is in that sense directed toward him and nevertheless therefore hope is a way hope is uh hope is has a peculiar relationship to reality that is to yeah. say it's actually fundamentally non-sentimental it's not a coping mechanism it's actually a recognition of what is actually just true about reality That's that it's right. not this calculus and that god actually is there uh it's a rational in fact, thing to have in that sense. So maybe that's a way of starting us out thinking about the theme of hope, kind of clarifying what it is and, and how it functions, but maybe, you know, how does that, how does that help orient us maybe in yeah. this coming think, new year? Yeah, I think it's important that um, <clears throat> the last, well, no, I'm sorry, not the last podcast we did, but the one before that on the incarnation, mm. it's not that uh, God is hidden in, um, hidden from us either. It's that God actually came into the world and took to himself a human nature. And when you talk about hope, I think that uh, immediately as a Christian, your mind must run to Christ uh, and all the things that the incarnation communicates to us uh, as human beings living in this world. Uh, we don't have a God that's disconnected from our struggles. Uh, we actually have an older brother who deeply sympathizes with everything mm. that we're going to go through. And so just like on a real fundamental Christian uh, level, you could say that hope is found in Christ. Now, what does that look like when, um, you know, there's an, a, the opposing political party has power? Uh, how do you deal with, um, you know, interpersonal problems that are going to pop up, which it's inevitably going to happen, mm. uh, you know? So I think that there's, there's a delicate balance you know, like when you play chess. So Joe and I have been playing a lot of chess lately and Joe's mm -hmm. kicking my butt pretty consistently. It's <laughs> damaging my ego, actually. <laughs> Sorry about that, brother. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, but when you start to plan out a strategy, like, okay, I'm going to do this and here's how I want to open and uh, I want to get my queen involved faster or whatever, whatever your strategy is, it all flies out of the window when your opponent makes an unex unexpected move and you're like, oh, well, now I have to deal with this and there goes that plan. It doesn't mean that the plan is bad when you make it. It just means that you're given a set of uh, circumstances in reality that you have to adjust to as you live in the world. And so as we plan our year, 
Um, and that's a very biblical notion of sort of planning out your strategy uh, amongst with, with your spouse and looking at your children. Where do we need to do things there? What do we want to do about school? What do we want to do about our marriage? Yada, yada, yada. As, as you're starting to think about how you plan out the year and how you're going to respond, there also needs to be this sort of like humble reservation that you'll have to deal with things on as they come to you sort of on the fly. <clears throat> and those things cannot be accounted for. So you really can't plan for those. What you can do is fortify your mind and your soul, uh, as we're talking about orientation, towards the, the things that are good and true and beautiful and be settled in your soul about those things. Instead of like frenetically pulling at the circumstances around us to feel better about our current circumstances, we should already have sort of first principles put in place. What is it that I can actually control? Um, well, I can control how I act towards my spouse if things go sour. I can act, I can control on how I respond to my children when they inevitably annoy the daylights out of me. Um, I can deal with my political opponents in this way if they become so antagonistic towards my view of things that I feel frustrated. And so I guess it's just sort of uh, having a quiet, calm, sort of untriggered uh, disposition that you are intentionally cultivating to deal with the things that are inevitably going to wreck your plan in some capacity. And I think that this is important for a bunch of reasons, but one reason in particular is uh, perhaps the biggest story going into 2021 is the, the selection, right? It's yeah. been disputed by Trump. Uh, there's a rally that's going to take place. There's Republican senators that are saying, we're not going to, we, we're, we're calling for um, an audit and we're, we're not, the elector, the electors in, in uh, certain states are not going to affirm a Biden pre presidency. Is Trump going to try to stay in the White House? Is there going to be a civil war? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, well, in that turmoil, you got to have some amount of internal peace. And what you and I talked about, Joe, and then I'll stop talking, uh, is this idea of spiritual warfare um, and, and the distinction between, you know, the physical war and spiritual warfare, and this is your thought, and it's very helpful for me, is that when we're engaged in battling demons, a lot of times we code our opponent as the demon. Mm. And I think a better way to approach that, I agree with you, is that we should be fighting a spiritual war for our opponents. In other words, we are uh, preaching a message of liberation from sinful captivity. Christ, in Christ, you are free from the influences of the enemy. And our rhetoric then should match that. So instead of coming at our opponents with such harsh rhetoric and sort of beating them up and winning all sorts of points on the internet, if we reframe our uh, the way that we talk to our opponents, in terms of like, I'm on your side and I have the thing that you need to remove, to get out of the bondage that you're in. And, and we tune our persuasive tools towards accomplishing that purpose. 
then that's at least one thing we can say to ourselves. I'm committed to doing that this year. And it doesn't matter if nobody else does it. Doesn't matter if, if it's reciprocated. Makes no difference to me. In my camp, if I'm berated for doing that, whatever. Outside of my camp, if I'm criticized for doing that, whatever. But this seems to be the way that Jesus has done things. This seems to be the message of the New Testament and how uh, rhetoric is used there. So I'm just going to be committed to not getting triggered so easily and then calmly trying to move into this uh, mm. really hyper sort of uh, charged atmosphere and be a calm, reasonable voice for the good. And that's just one little plank. That's one little thing that I think we can yeah. just involve ourselves to doing. Right. It's a, it's a prominent one, though, especially in a um, especially in our era of social media where you know, let's be frank, like, it's interesting that we all, all our observations about social media and the kinds of ways that it shapes us and shapes our emotional life are, are observations that are easy to make about the sort of nebulous them, you know, we, you know, right. this is the problem with social media is that it cultivates people, those guys over there like this. And we, and we, we, perhaps fail to observe how much social media shapes our very own discourse and our very own relationship to people and is designed to do that. It's, sure. it's, it's quite directly designed to get you to code people in a certain sort of way and to, and to posture yourself rhetorically to them in a certain way. It rewards, it rewards pathological communication in a certain, uh, in, in various respects. And I think one of the things, you know, as, just since we're talking about this particular aspect of our, of our quandary in the year 2021, I think one of the biggest dangers for Christians, you know, I think there's a lot of people sort of going into this year and it's sort of like, okay, there's this huge culture war and this is finally the time when the, when the sort of team of culture warriors that we've been forging for a generation get to, you know, sort of go out into the, you know, go out into the, to, to the battle of Bannockburn or whatever it was in Braveheart and, you know, you know, charge the field with their claymores and, uh, you know, and do the thing. Um, it, it, and I suppose what disturbs me about that is precisely what you said is that on the one hand, there's a distinction between, you know, Paul says we fight against, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against uh, principalities in the air. Um, and even though that can be inflected through persons and nations and, and ideologies and all that sort of thing, um, it's very clear in the New Testament. And it's very clear, interestingly, I think among the exemplars in the Christian tradition that when we're opposing the enemies of God, you really are opposing uh, something demonic. You're never opposing your neighbor qua neighbor. Your goal is always to win the neighbor. And so when you look at, to me, the greatest exemplars in our generation, the last couple of generations are Herman Bovink and C.S. Lewis. If you go read the writings of C.S. Lewis, they're fighting all the same battles. You know, all the things that we're still talking about and fighting about via memes on Facebook, they were fighting those same battles as well, or at least whatever version of those battles existed in their own day. Sure. But their rhetorical approach was always to win the person and fight the idea. In other words, and usually uh, Lewis, Lewis especially uh, will say, uh, you know, here's idea X, that's a problem. And he'll always say like, I feel the temptation toward that idea too, because I'm sure. a modern person just like you. I was raised in the same world you are. I get why that's attractive. 
Uh, and I have to reorient myself this way because I think that's more mature. And I think you need to as well because that's good for you. And so when you read Lewis, it's impossible to walk away without thinking this guy's goodwilled toward me. I'm not just some, I'm not just sort of fodder for his uh, sort of by contrast righteousness badge. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not his just comma as opposed to those guys right. where I'm one of those guys. Uh, and therefore Lewis is persuasive and Bovink is persuasive because that's that's not the battle that's going on. And what I see in a lot of what I see in a lot of circles is sort of an excitement almost. Oh good, you know, sort of the rubbing the hands together. Oh good, we're at a big culture battle point. Time to get out the soldiers. Uh, and, and I think there's a, a lack of reflection, uh, it seems to me, on how much of that, even when you have good arguments, even if you're even if you have learned your Greek and your Latin when you were 15 and you've absorbed the whole of Western Christendom and you know all the distinctions and the four causes and your reform sources and you're thrust out into the world to go fight socialism or whatever it is, right. you can still entirely be an ideologue. You can still be possessed of an ideology where what's actually going on with you at your basic motivational structure. And I think we need to see that this is frequent. This is not an this is not just a random thing. This is common. At the basic level, what's moving you or what can be moving you in those moments is just tribalism. If you think and I think this is such a huge thing to say in the year 2021. If you think that you're beyond tribalism, you're not. Right, right, <laughs> I'm right. not. Yes. I'm not either. So like you're not beyond instrumentalizing all of that wisdom to create a sort of team of these guys versus these guys where you're not trying to win your neighbor, where in fact you need your neighbor. You actually need in your kind of world picture the enemy to fight so that you feel like a good old soldier. In right. other words, it's very possible to instrumentalize the entirety of the great grand Western tradition, especially now, especially right now when there is a battle to fight, where it is complicated, where it is confusing, the temptation to instrumentalize people and to merely be possessed by an ideology uh, is like it's, I, I don't know in my lifetime if it's ever been quite that tempting. And yeah. you see it in the contradictions of behavior, for instance. You know, it's sort of like we sit around talking all day long about like, you know, oh, liberal snowflakes, you know, boy, they can't take anything, they're triggered. And it's right. like, but if I look at my Facebook feed every day, all I see, like, like you know, you just mentioned the all, all men versus all women thing. Right. I think most of our Facebook feeds this morning have been full just completely full of people apoplectically flipping out right. like this is some grand shock about reality you right. know giving earnest speeches and such yeah. and it's you know there's a part of me that's like what what are we doing you know at that point i'm not saying don't fight ideology go fight that ideology in as much as that's your specific job and by the way uh, uh giving an earnest speech on facebook is usually not a particularly effective way to yes. play ideology. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I, I'm agreeing with you 100%. And I appreciate the point that you make about uh, social media in general, um, because it is designed. I mean, by design, it is uh, crafted and tuned to, to, to inflame there's never a de-escalation. It's always escalating, escalating. I was telling Joe earlier when him and I were talking that um, 
I get these ads, these sponsored ads for like the little games. I don't know. I don't play games on my phone or, or, or whatever, but, but one of the big bold headlines, the big marketing ploy that they're trying to suck me in with is I've never felt anxiety before, like playing this game. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what in the world? Like, how is that the message that a marketing team came up with to put on a sponsored ad on Facebook to get me to click on their game? Is it really that people are addicted to some level of like constant nervous energy they carry around with them? But then again, I'm like, well, that's what I feel in some capacity. Like I feel the tense shoulders. I feel the jaw clenched when I'm like, you know, in the digital space. And so perhaps another real practical thing going into 2021, something that we can control in some level is to like scale that back. Maybe like put real firm parameters in our life about the exposure to digital media. Um, and, and then when we do partake, be intentional about, you know, spreading things like, uh, and here's what I think, and this is important. What you and I are not saying is that you win the world with like, daisies and flowers and puppies and you know just go out and gush over everyone and that's going to save the world uh but what we are saying is there is a prudential wielding of of uh of your presence that communicates either a true spirit of persuasiveness Mm. and then there's um a sort of erratic uh and ironically triggered um, response that just goes out and tries to save the world in comment sections. Like you're not doing that. You're not, you're, you're not changing the world by screeching at people on liberal Facebook pages. You're just not. Now that doesn't mean that it can never be harnessed for good. But what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you are, um, aware of something that's going to bother you, then tell yourself, I'm not going to let this bother me in such a way that I lose my cool or, I, or I'm going to carry it around with me. And when my daughter is nagging at me to get her the thing over there that I snap at her and be like, would you just hold on? You know, like yeah. we, we, we can't allow this. We need to move into the modern age well. And part of that is recognizing all the tools that are in front of us, all the things that we have to deal with every day. And then saying, how can I, do this thing better than what I'm seeing everybody else do. Um, And, you know, maybe that's removing yourself from it in some capacity, or that's just being committed to like act out virtuous principles when you do partake of it. Maybe that's an easy way to, to set yourself up for success in 2021 with your relationships. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think of, um, yeah, I think that's I think that's one thing to say, and, and that's uh you know we 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 were we're focusing somewhat here on social media, you know, and it's in both its possibilities because it does have possibilities, sure. real uh, real rhetorical possibilities, but also it's very significant limitations. There's some things you're just not generally going to accomplish uh, on things like Facebook, as and as well, what you, sort of what you were just saying is like you also need to be aware of 
how this stuff is influencing you. In other words, like, are you feeling the tight shoulders and the clenched jaw and whatever? And the thing is, is you might much more than you know. Like we are in fact all very triggerable. And so, you know, on the one hand we could say, just don't be triggered. The other thing we need to ask ourselves is why we're triggered. You know, when we're in some ways triggered is a, to be triggered as sort of a reflex. Uh, and it can be a legitimate reflex. Uh, it's just really just saying you reacted negatively, right? Sure. Uh, sure. But um, uh, nevertheless, it's worth asking why, you know, you feel that passion, sort of that heat rise in your chest or whatever it is when you encounter a certain thing. Because very often that's a good signal to you about something you need to bring before the Lord and become more centered in yourself. Um, are you making it all about you? Are you being a bit egotistical? Um, yeah. Are you being a bit impatient? Um, so that's one. That's you know that's one thing. Another another thing that you know, as I was thinking about the, you know our, our conversation here, and uh, you know just the idea of orientation in this weird world of 2021, where everything feels so crazy and we don't know what the future brings, and yeah, there's just talk of secession, and you right. know half of the country literally doesn't believe that a a a a a what about, what's the word I'm looking for? An honest election just occurred. Uh, and that's a, pretty, that's a pretty scary proposition. That's a kind of unsustainable moment. Um, and yet most of us can only do so many things. Uh, and one, one thing that I think is interesting to think about and might be worth thinking about in a year like this is the old reformed doctrine of vocation. Yes. You know, this has become such a this has become such a kind of easily invoked thing we toss around. Everybody's heard a sermon series or two on vocation or something like that. But uh, just this this year, uh, last year I should say, I read uh, uh, Gustav Wingren's Luther on vocation. Uh, mm. uh, the, um, you you you've read this other book, uh, God at Work, by Jean Edward Veith, which is yes. a uh, a kind of popularization of Wingren's book, uh, Luther on Vocation, as, as Veith says in the introduction there. But it, what's what's so fascinating about when you uh, Wingren's uh, Luther on Vocation? What's what's so fascinating about it is that. Luther lives in this moment of turmoil. You know, Europe is just falling apart. He's inheriting a Europe which is already following, falling apart. But of course, when the Reformation starts to spread, you know, political realignments, ecclesiastical realignments, economic turmoil, refugee communities, religious persecution, Europe, uh, Europe is just a big mess, yes. you know, for, for a long time. And yet it's precisely at that moment, you know, that Luther is writing, what does the ordinary Christian need to think about? And Luther's doctrine of vocation in some ways is, is very much suited to this. And, 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 and there's a lot of kind of kind of modern inflections of it. It's just go help your neighbor. Like yes. you can be doing, you could be wasting your time doing a bunch of things, but you're good at something. Like you actually do have, God is just as in the church. So in, 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 in the Commonwealth, God has given you gifts to go offer your neighbor. And that's how he gets to your neighbor. God actually shows his face to his, to your neighbor through you and through the gifts that you characteristically have to give. And that's comprehensive. That's not just sort of your job in the modern sense. That's you being your vocation is your being a father to your children. You being somebody that is a blessing to your, if you're a minister to your congregation, but if you're a lay person, your vocation is to be a lay person that's a blessing to your other church members and a blessing to your ministers and elders 
because you, you care about their well-being too. And if you're a husband or a father, uh, if you're a neighbor, it's, it's, it's a comprehensive thing. It's just the call of God as it's extended through your whole life. Um, and if you think of yourself, if you think of it less in terms of like, I need to control this situation, it feels unstable. So what can I do to kind of create this outcome? You know, and you're acting from that kind of anxious headspace, you perhaps lose, again, what, what where hope exists is a theological virtue. It says God is in control. God actually has the whole algorithm figured out. And I actually don't have to come up with the grand strategy that's going to make all the threads weave together. Rather, I know this simple thing that I'm good at X. (laughs) I know that very basically. And I can go give X to my neighbor with the smile of God upon me and knowing that that is actually the means by which he transforms things. It is actually me just doing my job yes. <laughs> in a sense that is actually the way that God works. And, and, the, and the one more thing I'll add, when you take that other strategy and you say, oh, goody, it's time for the culture wars. Oh, and look, we've raised our team of culture warriors and we start splitting into like there's the woke and the non-woke camps. This is all of reality winds up being the split between these two groups of people who are who are codified not as people anymore, but as ideologies and sneakers and, and effectively conflated with demons rather than right. your neighbor who you should just talk to. You know, that's right, sort of right. not on Facebook, though. It's not going to go. We fail to to ask the question, you know, here we are at this moment of such cultural tension and it's a little scary. Like I'm not an alarmist and I'm not one of these guys who's like, ah, civil war is coming. But this is the first time in my lifetime where I've looked around and thought, oh, this is, uh, you know, I don't know. (laughs) The tensions might be more than I'm comfortable, more than is very comfortable uh, at some point soon. And I think we need to ask ourselves, what's the cost? What's the cost of being wrong here? What's the cost of saying, you know what, my neighbor or all those woke people, they're not persuadable. They're just possessed. Uh, what's the cost of not asking yourself if you're possessed, in mm-hmm. fact, even, even, if it's, even if the ideas are true, your relationship to them is a, is a possessed relation. And what is the cost of projecting on them your own possession and saying they're so possessed that they couldn't possibly listen to another sentence? And the cost of that is, is that you, I, it seems to me that you may very well wind up not being one of the helpers yeah. that, that actually helps the situation. It seems to me the people of God are called to be the helpers. We're yeah. called to be found among those who are actually, even if we lose, even if, even if, yeah, it all just, you know, you know, sort of burns to the ground. We should be found among those who are trying to keep it from being burnt to the ground. Um, my, my friend, David Kotler, um, he has a wonderful analysis. Uh, this will be fun, but he has this wonderful analysis. Have you seen the movie The Big Lebowski, Dale? Of course. Oh, of course. Yes, like I shouldn't yes, even yes. have asked. Right. Come on. But he has a <laughs> come on. You know, but he has this wonderful analysis that this is where I learned the phrase "the cost of being wrong." And I'm a tribute to David Kotler. This is his insight, not mine. But he uh, he talks about how you know it's a film about certainty in some ways, you know, you have these three bowler friends, you know, uh, 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 Jeff Bridges, uh, uh, Steve Buscemi and uh, John Goodman. Yes. Uh, and what's interesting is that uh, uh, the um, uh, 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 Walter Sobchak, the John Goodman character, who's just so classic, isn't actually, if you watch it, incredibly certain. 
every decision he makes. In fact, he uses the word, you know, this man isn't crippled. Uh, you know, I've never been certain, more certain of anything in my life. And he's almost always wrong. He's incredibly certain, but almost always actually wrong. And then you have the kind of intellectually lazy character, you know, you know, Steve Buscemi, who's always kind of coming into the conversation. What, what, catch me up. Hey, somebody do my thinking for me. And Walter's always correcting him for not being rigorous right. enough. Um, but the dude, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's keeping his mind limber, as it were. Uh, and there's a complicated situation that he's trying to figure out. And he's actually sort of moving through the situation, actually trying to be as, lis as little ideological in a certain sense as he can. Uh, and so the dude, the, he, he's sort of presented as the epistemically virtuous character, uh, mm -hmm. because he's the one who is uh, 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 light-footed enough to actually see what's going on fairly objectively. And in fact, the one moment where, where um, in the words of Sam Elliott, darkness washed over the dude, right. uh, <laughs> uh, uh, is when he's certain. It's when he has it figured out and he was wrong. That's right. actually when his life sort of falls apart and he sort of figures it out as he goes along via his, struck, uh, his strict uh, uh, drug regiment that keeps his mind limber. Right. Don't go do drugs, fellas. Uh, right. But uh, <laughs> that's not how we keep our minds limber. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, nevertheless, I think it's, it sort of makes the point that like what um, there, there's a key conversation in the film where uh, somebody asks, um, uh, you, you know, when they, they, they have this sort of severed toe, right? You know, you know, that's not her toe, dude. And he's really confident. And the dude suddenly becomes aware. Um, but what's the cost? Like, what if it is her toe? Like, if I'm wrong about this, if I'm wrong in my conclusion, then the cost is that somebody dies, you know, like so, you know, so a really big thing happens. And so what my friend, my friend David Kotler's sort of moral aphorism that he juiced out of the movie was the threshold, the, the threshold uh, 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 by which you should feel certain about something and project certainty about something is directly proportionate to the cross, uh, to the, is directly proportionate to the risk of being wrong mm. or the cost of being wrong. What if you're wrong about it? What if you're wrong? Uh, what if you're wrong that there's not people out there to be one? Yeah. Well, then you're never going to win them. If you sure. actually just say they're not going to do that, then and, and I and it seems to me that we're at a moment in our in our culture where everybody's saying it's time to pick sides. It's time to pick sides, guys. Nobody's listening anymore. And it seems to me like that's uh, that seems demonic to me in a certain sort of way. Uh, that seems demonic to me in a certain sort of way because those neighbors are, those, those people are our neighbors. They're our co-rulers. They're God's image. They're rulers. Yeah. God has placed them on this earth to be rulers over this earth. They're kings and queens. They're sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Yeah. And if your heart is not to redeem that reign, to yeah. redeem the reign of your neighbor, then I'm not sure you're fighting the right battle. Yeah. And I feel that, you know, I mean, just from my own experiences, because I think you get, here's where, here's how it works for me. Here's how it's sort of like a concentric circle of reasoning moves out from uh, an encounter. What happens is I go, oh, this person is standing for that. And they have all these people behind them with these really wicked messages that are written on signs. And they're screaming about everything I hold dear being bad and i have children and that my children are growing up in this country and these people are vying for power in the country and i don't want my children to be hurt 
or injured or harmed by them. And I don't want everything that I hold dear, all of the, uh, the principles of Christianity that are baked into the fabric of Western civilization, you just can't remove it at this point. Right. Um, I don't want my kids to grow up in a place that is hostile towards them. Um, so I think that that in that you the the uh, reaction to that is an aggressive one. It's that sort of uh, paternal instinct at work, like take right. care of the cubs, and yeah. any of the threat that sort of presents itself. I need to eliminate the threat. I need to uphold that which is good and slay that which is bad for the for the common good. It's going right. to help us all. What I think you're saying is, once you move from dealing with individuals to dealing with groups of people, uh, especially as conservatives, which is ironic because conservatism wants to deal with the individual. I mean, we're not communists, we're not right. socialists, uh, but all of a sudden when you get into these uh, conversations about them over there and us over here, you've unwittingly adopted a sort of like communistic approach to society. Now it's like all of them. The Dems. The yeah. Dems, right. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that what you said about vocation is, is just right. It's, it's, it's recognizing what God has gifted us with to move into the world and act a particular way towards our neighbors, but also towards our, our family and um, our friends and our church members. And those are real communities that mm. you can exercise your gifts in and the ripple effect of you pouring yourself into these communities in a faithful way to the gifts that God has given you, you can't measure. It's unquantifiable. Right. So uh, I think one of the um, more ignorant and sort of, you know, immature, zealous view of the culture warrior is uh, the dude with the pain on his face, wielding a big sword, running towards the front lines of the battle, ready to lop off his enemy's head. I think a more sophisticated and mature and refined uh, view of the culture warrior, if you can even use that, is a man who quietly, humbly, before the face of God, impacts his communities he has direct access to in very meaningful ways. Yeah. And allowing those things that he can give to his communities uh, to work themselves out in other circles. It's like right. a little, it's a little leaven leavens the whole lump that works with virtue as well. Uh, yeah. It's not just with sin. We can actually infect the whole lump with goodness yes. and, and we can be effective that way. Yep. Um, but one, one other thing I want to say is uh, you mentioned Luther and I think that's a fantastic point because I think that um, in the modern age, it's very easy to take for granted how easy life is. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Peterson here is really good um, when he talks about sort of like, look at who you were yesterday. Are you in a better position today? Are you a better person today? Like measure yourself against who, who you were yesterday. If we can just appreciate history and in God's providence where he's brought us, we are in a lot of respects, like you mentioned at the beginning, count your blessings. We are in a lot of respects in a very, very better, better off position hmm. than we than humanity has ever been. Now, I guess yeah. it would depend on the metrics that you use to weight to measure that. 
But for, for all, I mean, women uh, or children live past the ripe old age of died at childbirth, right? right? Like for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we're, we're taking care of diseases. Worldwide hunger is pretty much eliminated. Uh, th- we live during one of the most prosperous times in the history of the world. Uh, technology yes. is affording more comfortable living arrangements. Yes. Or at least worldwide hunger could be eliminated. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's well, I, right, yeah. right. Um, and for the most part, I mean, we've done, we've put a big dent in it. Yeah, oh yeah, that's very true. That's absolutely right. the case. That's right. Yeah. Right. So yes, things are bad, uh, and we're we shouldn't be naive to say they're not. We're not pie in the sky optimists, just like whistling. You know, we're not the dog in the meme where the whole bar's on fire, going everything's fine here. Yeah. Uh, we we recognize that there's a fire, and we need to do something about it. At the same time don't let that be the dominant thing that just morning after morning, when you wake up, you're filled with like existential dread about the future. Yeah. We should, we should be filled with, you know, I'm just more and more persuaded of this, that like in some ways the measure of whether we should even be opening our mouths about these things is like whether we wake up in the morning and we're full of joy, just that our sins are forgiven. Like, you know, I mean, do we wake up in the morning and, and uh, enjoy, and I'm not, I'm not speaking, I need more of this, God help me. Me too. But, uh, um, but to wake up in the morning and, and, and move with the joy that I'm united to Christ, all that is his is mine, that my sins are forgiven, that I have the Holy Spirit with me, a friendship with the Father, Um and I think when you have that and then you start to code all of your life is just the stuff he's given you to do, like code providence, code to the world that you've inherited. I mean, one way to look at your circumstance, here we are Christians in 2021, God has counted us worthy to serve him in precisely, precisely this moment yes. with precisely all of these details. And that's an enormous blessing. You're, you know, again, going back to that Adamic language, you're, you know, you're calling us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it and inflect it through the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. Those things kind of hinge together in some ways for the Christian. Nevertheless, it's a good thing you've been given, you've been given a life and, and much to do and have been called uh, into this precise circumstance. And what we need Right. Well, as we were just talking about is on the one hand, that basic sense of vocation, you know, what it means to rule in this world is really to to just respond to God's call given with who you are in a more immediate circumstance. But then there is that wider, that wider picture, which is harder to interpret and perhaps where we need to be less confident in a certain sort of way. I know that some sure. people would be nervous about that, but it's harder to say like, well, here's the problem going on in the whole world. Well, there's a lot of details there, you know, maybe you need to qualify it a bit. It's sure. easier to say like my kid is being rude and I can correct him. You know, that's a yes. little simpler of an exchange there. Um, and it's worth clarifying, you know, as we talked with um, our good friend Joe Rigney last time, it's worth clarifying that the point here is not sort of like become moderate. You know, people are choosing sides and you get the middle team. Yeah. Be as right wing or left wing as you think you need to be. The point here is the, it, it's a, it, the point here is really about ideology. The point here is really about are we the kind of person who conceives of our role in the civilization that is in some ways 
in a moment of intense fracture, do we conceive of our role as, as uh, getting effectively getting rid of and establishing a certain concrete set of bodies, an actual tribe in some living way? Or do we see like, I'm animated perhaps by this very conservative idea. You know, I'm, I'm animated by ideas that come from, you know, for crying out loud, medieval Europe. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about Thomism over here. You know, I'm not exactly <laughs> progressive, you know. Right, right, uh, right. Uh, Nevertheless, what you what we're hoping what we're talking about is this like the the relationship you have to people. And this is Lewis, right? You've never met a mere person. Yeah. Every single person you've ever met is the kind of thing that could be so hideous that you would call them a demon, or so glorious that you'd be tempted to worship them. I'm I'm paraphrasing Lewis there. Um, and it seems to me that what is lost in, in it's part of our culture. This is the, to me where the left and the right, and I've written about this, you know, this is where the left and the right are just very often the same person. They have yeah. the same ethos, even if they think their ideas are all different. They code each other as though they're simply an ideology in a pair of shoes. Yeah. And that's not what any human being is. That's not what you are. Uh, yeah. The fact is, is you're not a walking thinker. Uh, most of what you do in fact, the vast majority of what you do probably has nothing to do with anything you think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, most of it is a bunch of habits you inherited and re-perform. And that's good. That's just how civilization and humanity works. But the, 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 that's how the image of God works. That's how God has established reality and the relationship of thought to reality. And in a sense, what we're, I think we're saying here is, is like, as we think about in this moment of tension, how do we orient ourselves? How do we live in hope and look at the circumstances we have. Well, part of it is uh, to bring, in some ways, to kind of instantiate hope in the world as that hoper of all things to your neighbor. Yeah. Are you, are, are, are we, because of, because of Christ doing this very thing with us, because Christ himself came into the world and you can just imagine, I mean, how much reason did Christ have to say, oh my goodness, these 12 guys, they never get anything right. right. Well, they're so pickville and they're trying to pick the right and the left hand of God. And like, right. you know, if, if Christ was as patient as most of our culture warriors, well, uh, we, we would be, we would be screwed. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, you know, can we nevertheless enter that world as hope-filled people and then say like, you know what, you know, yes, this guy has crazy ideas, but I see a human being there who has this, who is related to God in this way. I know because God made them that way, that they're related to God in that way. And so I can just talk to them as a human being and I can say, hey, let's talk about that. Well, you know, what about this? And I don't need to be triggered and be like, right. oh, he, she, you use your pronouns after the you know, like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like get, get away from that. We're fine. Like we can, God can handle it, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and there's, you're right. And as we're sort of like wrapping up here, I do want to say, yes that's correct there's an old i guess it's an old saying it might be an old saying but there is a saying uh when you're training a marksman uh slow is smooth and smooth is fast right so when you're trying to hit your target when you're putting your target in your scope um you're you're trying to be as smooth as you can and that requires you to be slow and steady but if you can master that, then you become quicker because then you won't have to take five or six shots. You take one 
well-aimed right. shot. I like the red state example here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, and I think that there's, there's a principle there. It's like, you can't, if what you're doing is, if, if what we try to do go, going into 2021, and this applies across the board with whatever thing that bothers you enters into your, into your, your context. If what you're trying to do is like run around and take care of all the things immediately, this is a threat, get rid of it. This is a thing, get rid of it. Mm. Th then you're going to be inefficient in your use of your skills in, in, in use of your gifts. You're better off to sort of sit back like the, the, uh, the old sage and get the lay of the land prioritize the things you need to do and then smoothly walk through them. And then you need to identify exactly where the thing is that you need to take aim at, take aim at it, and then come up with a strategy for, for dispelling it or, or to, for dealing yeah. with it. Um, yeah. And I just think that that, it, that, that, that impulse is so foreign to the modern mind because we do a gazillion things every yeah. day. We don't yeah. just, I mean, it would, life would in a lot of ways be a lot simpler if we woke up when the crew, the, uh, the rooster crowed and be like, okay, Johnny milk the cow, you know, grab the, grab the goats, fix the fence. But instead we're like, respond to these 20 people, answer these hundred emails, do this task, this, the, this to-do list of 15 things by the way take care of your kid love your wife show up to church on time be a good friend you know like you have we right. have so many things so so don't be don't go crazy in 2021 i guess is what, what i'm saying yeah here. uh yeah. just be cool uh and, and i think about paul's exhortation to do everything in your power to live a quiet and peaceful life yeah uh, really aim for that knowing that life is not going to allow you to attain that easily. We're going to yeah. have curveballs, but find some solace in the fact that God loves you. Jesus has ransomed you. You belong to him and then move out in faith, loving yeah. God and loving neighbor. At, at the end of the day, when you can simplify it, um, when you can simplify all the complexities down to what God means to you, um, then you, you, you're relieved of the tension of trying to figure out all of the problems in the world all at once. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the last thing I'll say is I think it's important to make the distinction between sort of individual and political action. And so uh, yeah. just, to, just to sort of qualify what I've said earlier, and that is uh, most of what I've been talking about is how we ought to interact with just people. It's just, it's just, this is how we interact with people in our civilization, our neighbors, yes. those acquaintances we have, conversations on Facebook, whatever it is. It's, it's that kind of interaction. Obviously, you know, there are uh, people who are concerned about various actual battles they need to fight and they're going to vote the way they vote. And there are people whose calling it is to go argue about these things in public. Um, and what I would want to say is, of course, hopefully it's uh, people with proper character and virtues that we actually 
want to see argue about those things in public as opposed to the sort of like bullet point talking head who sort of owns everybody right. you know and it's and it's sort of more like a show you know than anything yeah. else right. uh you know so there's there's that side about it that there's there there's a distinction between sort of political and individual action and and wisdom applies differently there you know so for instance when i say hope all things it's one thing to say like um you know maybe that guy seems a bit ideologically possessed and it's one thing for me as an individual dealing with that person to say, you know what, I'm going to give that person the benefit of the doubt. I'm just going to speak to them. like I'm not going to assume that they're so possessed. I can't just talk to them like a human being. And so I'm going to try and do that and see what happens. Well, it's different than saying like, um, you know, somebody seems ideologically possessed that is about to be go into Congress, you know, you don't, or, or is about to become an elder in your church or something like that, or your it's elder nomination season or something. You don't want to say like, well, let's just hope all things and like ignore all the red flags. Yeah. That's not quite how that works. You know, like in those contexts, those things are red flags and you actually have to, you have to, whether in whatever direction, you know, you just have to deal with those mm -hmm. things. And, and similarly, when we're engaged in political and cultural activity of a more corporate mm -hmm. nature, some of these things, there are actual battles where you have to fight uh, and where that fighting is going to look like fighting. Nevertheless, that can be uh, uh, just as the just war tradition uh, can talk about just war relative to war. We can perhaps talk about the just war tradition analogously in the culture wars. Yeah. What does proportion look like? What does actually caring about my enemies look like? What does it mean to love them even as I'm even as I'm in that opposition? And what does it mean to be aware of? I'd like to win them and minimize damage to them and all those sorts of things where we're not just sort of like justifying what is effectively a tribalistic bloodlust with the gnomon with the, with a thin veneer of you know being little warriors for jesus uh i i so again a delicate balance not one that i'm beyond you know i'm, yeah. I'm saying well, none of these things as the like i don't need to look in the mirror and say sure. like, oh, good grief like yeah let's get this together joe yeah you know? and i think that me when you and i talk about this stuff um even off air when you and i are just working through this in our in our private conversations more of it is just trying to figure out how to do the thing. Yeah. So it's just like us going, I know that I feel this way. Right. And I know I'm inclined to do these things. Right. So we're, we're not pretending to like be up here, you know, di dispassionately yeah. detached from all of the feelings. Yeah. I don't get triggered on social media. Right. right yeah, that's right. not true. <laughs> yeah, I just have to keep reminding myself, don't ever get triggered. Don't ever get triggered. And I say it as I'm triggered, you know, so, yeah. so, so anyway, I guess, I guess what we're, I guess what, um, you know, moving into 2021, just aim to be better than you were yesterday. Uh, seek, seek the Lord with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul and all of your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and then deal with life in the best way that you can given a host of counselors and, uh, and by listening to Joe and I talk on a podcast. Yeah. That's, I mean. <laughs> that's, the, that's the game plan. <laughs> Unless you decide that we're wrong, in which case, feel free to ignore us. <laughs> or you could fight with us. And then yeah, that's could... right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, all right, brother. Well, this was this was great. I'm looking forward to everything we got lined up uh, for the year. Uh, Joe and I have some great uh, interviews lined up and some great subjects to talk about. I can't wait uh, to get into the Bovink stuff. Uh, but we'll keep we'll keep that uh, on the down low for the time being. Uh, but um, more Lewis this year. 
Um, I actually have lunch with Andrew Lazo tomorrow, so that'll be nice. We'll have him back on soon. Oh, good. Um, yes. Uh, but uh, as always, head over to davenantinstitute.org and you can check us out on the Pilgrim Faith tab. Uh, you can also look at us, uh, look up the episodes on um, iTunes and any of the podcast catchers. Uh, you can also go over to YouTube, the Davenant Institute YouTube page and uh, check us out via video. So uh, we're looking forward to 2021. We, we hope it's good for you and yours and uh, we will see you all next time. All right. Thanks, guys.